Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. I'll just be honest with you. I've stepped it up. I just learned a bunch of lessons from straight up failing. And then I learned from people that actually knew what the heck they were doing because they had been VCs for a long time. Focus is the key to success. Do one thing and do it well. This is the mantra that has led Elizabeth Edwards throughout her incredible journey, from her first job in strategy and operations at Deloitte to launching H Venture Partners, one of the world's only female-founded, owned, and controlled venture funds to raise over $10 million. You're about to hear Elizabeth's stories from investing in some of today's biggest consumer brands, and why you should always ask her what you want and more. Coming up, Elizabeth shares her best tips for knowing you made the right decision. Why she loves investing in women. Elizabeth tells us about some of her favorite investments from beauty to baby products. She shares the criteria that she has for the types of companies that she invests in. And finally, Elizabeth shares her insights about why some companies have a hard time getting funded. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Elizabeth, we are so excited to sit down and chat with you today and hear all about your entrepreneurista story and journey. I would love to hear first a little bit about your background prior to founding H Venture Partners and what made you take the leap to start your own business? Well, I've always been an entrepreneurial person. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, just observed it. My first job ever was cleaning the toilets and office space, the manufacturing company Toledo Wire Products that my grandfather, so I lived with my grandparents for a time and and with my mom and single mom trying to make ends meet. And that's what we did. I was probably like four years old, made a big impression on me because (laughs) when you're cleaning a super disgusting toilet and men's bathroom of a manufacturing facility, you're kind of wondering like, what is this entrepreneurship thing? Like, Papa owns this company. Why are we the maids? But you find out that, you know, entrepreneurs, the CEO is, might be, you know, emptying the waste baskets at the end of the day. And that, you know, is certainly an impression that my, my stepdad was also an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. So kind of surrounded by like entrepreneurial men. And yeah, I knew that anyone who wants to start a business can from that very young age because they're all special people but I didn't think like they were like oh my god you're the the smartest person I've ever met you know you're like your papa your, your dad whatever 
and it turns out they actually were really smart about that. <laughs> now looking back in life. And so I started out, you know, I went to Michigan undergrad, actually thought that I would be like a litigator or, or a doctor. I fainted the sight of blood. I worked for a litigator. Litigation's terrible. Never want to go back to that again. I lasted like two weeks in that job reading depositions of terrible things that people did to each other. And I was like, this is not for me. And then got into, of all things, cognitive psychology. And I ended up working the lab on the human computational model, the FAD Polk, which is basically like the basis of artificial intelligence, which is the mathematical models for how human beings make decisions, how they think, how does thought, you know, where, how, where are these words coming from? Where are they originating? And so just absolutely loved that, you know, was, was in the honors program there, really took, and then economics. So psychology, economics, undergrad, two degrees that you you would think you could do anything with. And then my parents and grandparents were kind of like, but yeah, but like, what's your real major going to be? And so I immediately, my mom was working for the University of Cincinnati. So as long as you're like under 26, any of your kids can go to UC for free. And being the super efficient person I am, I was like, yeah, sign me up for that. I'll go, I'll get my MBA. And, and my, I remember my grandfather, my paternal grandfather going like, Hey, yeah, like you usually need some like work experience before you go get an MBA, apparently like whatever. And so, and they took me and I majored in finance and thought that I wanted to go into real estate. I wanted to be a real estate developer. And then this partner from Deloitte was judging a case competition about consumer brands. So our MBA case competition was about an Asian beauty brand. And the judges were all these people from PNG. And I was the only non-foreign person on my team, except for this one woman who is a MBA patent attorney and amazing at Excel. But everyone else is foreign, French woman, Indian guy. And then I can't remember where this guy's from. Anyway, no one wanted to stay for this case competition because the second it was over, it was winter break and they would like go home. And I'm like, I have never been in a competition that I don't want to win. I want to win everything. You know what I mean? And I like have that complex, which it turns out to be okay. But <laughs> anyway, so I broke this nose on a victory lap, winning octopus tag in third grade. You have it in you. <laughs> yeah. I want to win whatever it takes face to brick wall. So I do this case competition and this senior partner of Deloitte, Brent Brueggemann is judging. And he's like, you know what? Is we won. <laughs> we won. And he's like, you know what? I think Carolyn Tassad is the new president of North America is the other judge. She's for real. Because she was like the one with all the like good questions. And I just kind of like talked my way through it. But he's like, you really seem like you enjoy this type of work. What are you, what are you doing post grad? I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be a real estate developer. He's like, have you ever thought about strategy consulting? I'm like, that sounds cool. I'll check that out. They were on their like third round of interviews. So it's like the case study round where you go and all of the partners give you case studies where you've got to answer. It's not like a, tell me about yourself. It's here's the pro I'm going to read you a page of text. What's the answer? And I freaking loved it. <laughs> so I took a job in Deloitte strategy. I was only there for two years but I got put on the most amazing team. Again, like the only American, the only American, one of the only women, and usually always the only woman on the team and only person that didn't go to Harvard or Stanford. This team, so the innovation, the innovator solution team, the TIS team at Deloitte, based out of New York, I live in Cincinnati. And I moved nine times before I was nine. When I got here, I was like, I'm never freaking moving again. This is it. Parking my butt here. Everyone can come to me or I'll call them, whatever. I'll get an airplane, but I'm not packing back again. So I get in this amazing team that is pretty much co-founded by Clayton Christensen, Harvard Business School, guy who coined the term disruptive innovation, and his co-author on Innovator Solution, Michael Rayner, who's the head of Deloitte Research. 
So we're like operationalizing this, like what is disruptive innovation and what would like a company like our big client Johnson and Johnson do with this? Like, how could they be more disruptive? And so it was basically strategy and front end M&A work for, for J&J. And actually Clayton Christensen's daughter, Anne, was also on our team and actually partners that I, you know, worked with, like I'm still really, really close with today, that team, like we went through some stuff together. And so I got to work so many interesting, like looking at a potential acquisition. What is this technology? So companies and technologies for J&J to license and acquire. And the thing is, and I freaking love Johnson and Johnson, but anyone I think that works for the company would say this, like they have great ideas and it could take them 15 years to commercialize it. But the people on the other side of the table, they move fast. They take real risks like, honey, I don't have a job. I just put a second mortgage on the house and I think I'm going to do this thing, right? Which is what I did to my husband when I started my company. So I'm looking at the people on the other side of the table. I'm like, that's where I, I want to spend more time with these people. And I could definitely do that. So I was working on Tylenol this time. And there's way more to Tylenol than you would ever think way more to Tylenol. Take Tylenol. It's good. So brands matter. Okay. Contract manufacturing, kind of fuzzy. You're giving this to your kids. Make sure it's branded freaking Tylenol. So I'm in this amazing role. I'm traveling five days a week. I basically just do laundry and maybe get to go out once a weekend with my friends in Cincinnati. And that's about it. And so it's a very taxing job. My stepdad was dying, melanoma, I'm an only child, but mom's like kind of falling apart. It was a good time to make a decision to just be in Cincinnati. And so I called my former mentor from Deloitte, Richard Palmer, who, who runs this amazing company, Google Richard Palmer, and you'll find out like he's saving the world right now. Richard Palmer, Deloitte, Procter & Gamble, University of Michigan, Nehemiah Manufacturing. Oh, so amazing. And, yeah, worked for such amazing people. So I'm like, Richard, I think I need a different job. He's like, great. There's this family office in Cincinnati that wants to like invest in venture capital, like venture backed businesses, you should come do that. You'd be great at it. And so I'm like, great, this sounds perfect. So this is the extent of my job searches. I make one call to my mentor and he's like, Hey, come work with me over here at this new thing. And I'm like, great. Sounds good. When can I, when can I start working? Like, let's just skip everything else. <laughs> I literally told the CEO of the company, I'm like, I'm coming to work for you. We just need to work out my start date and my salary. Then, you know, I had to tell Diana O'Brien, my, my boss at Deloitte, that just, who just retired as CMO of Deloitte. I'm like, hey, Diana, yeah, I think I'm going to do this thing. And she's like, this is, this is the key to life. When you're thinking decisions, like big ones like this, what you need to do is when you look back when you're 80, will you think then that you're making the right decision? And I was like, yep. And it turned out to be life-changing because what happened? You know, I, I spent four years. I learned a lot of lessons. I started out with five portfolio companies. Okay. Great financial crisis hits. Three of them go out of business. One of them is changing the world right now. You've eaten 30 day old salmon using a technology called global fresh foods, now known as blue wrap. That is ocean freeing, perishable food. So I think it's hard to grow avocados in, in Minneapolis, right? So you know, when you're moving big and especially fish, fish is farmed. It's only farmed in certain places in the world, Norway, Chile, et cetera. So it can be really, really difficult to get fresh things from here to there without using air freight, which is really terrible for the environment. And they do that. And so learned just a ton of lessons on like stuff goes wrong. There are unpredictable things in life. Also met my husband there. So that's good. And yeah, and just, you know, learned a ton. And then went to go work for two other venture capital firms. And so one stop was, and I, I felt like my, all this time, I felt like my, like my entrepreneurial cup was being filled up all the time because I was hanging out with them all the time. But I was also on the other side of the table, like advising them, like my buddy, Bob Bonder, who started Rheingeist great beer. If you're, I mean, actually they sell it down there. They sell it nationwide. Like it's awesome beer. So 
I felt like my cup was pr- pretty full from an entrepreneurial perspective. Went to go work for West Capital, which is the venture. So great financial crisis hits, not good. Our company kind of, you know, really, really was hurting from it. Went to go work for the venture capital arm of Fifth Third Bank called West Capital. So Fifth Third was our client. We're investing balance sheet money. CFO of the bank has to sign off on every venture deal. But now I'm writing bigger checks. Because I was going from, you know, writing two hundred fifty to $500,000 checks to Bill.com. Bernie's favorite company. Bernie's favorite company. So yeah, my favorite I, company. Bill.com. I could show you the investment memo. is about 70 pages thick. And, you know, just incredible story. But I learned so much working with Mark Ritchie and Madeline Ludlow at West Capital because they were very balanced. You know, Mark has more of my personality, which is he's never met a person that's not a future best friend. You know, he's one of those like extreme extrovert. I'm an extreme extrovert. I feel like I've been stuck in a freaking box, a digital (laughs) box for a year. I can't wait for everyone to be vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I feel like, and it was best experience ever. Thank you, Pfizer. Go Walmart. You rock. But I think, you know, people don't realize how small of an industry venture capital is. Like how many, all right. How many people, Stephanie, Courtney, and, and you each have to guess how many jelly beans are in the jelly jar. How many people do you think work in the venture capital industry globally? Oh, that's a very tough question. 100,000. You nailed it. Really? <laughs> that, that is the number. Really? It's, it's, it's 99, but yeah, you nailed it. I didn't pick up my lottery ticket. I can't believe that. So I similarly, I guess this, but I, I actually had to look it up and you can go find this report. I'll post it on LinkedIn or something. I'll send it to you guys. But it's a very small industry. There are more people that work for Procter & Gamble. There, there are three times more people that work for Deloitte globally than work in all of venture capital globally. It is a small, small, small world. So how did you take the leap to then start your own fund? Well, so here I am. I'm working for Mark and Madeline. 2011, we started investing. We invest in all these great brands. Madeline, though... Madeline was an investment banker at Morgan Stanley for 20 years. Or sorry, she was an investment banker for 20 years, started Morgan Stanley. But she, she worked on Wall Street for 20 years in investment banking. This is starting back in the 80s, you know, before it was cool for women to do that. No mat leave back then, let's put it that way. And then she was CFO of a publicly traded company, which is Synergy, then became Duke Energy, you know, merger. And left with the merger and then, or as right before, and then became an entrepreneur raised venture capital dollars, had that experience, went through a crisis and had to lay off a bunch of people and feel how that feels. And then, you know, got into venture capital and private equity. And so she partnered up with Mark, she and Mark, you know, here, Madeline's been an investor. Mark was also a venture-backed entrepreneur and then went to go work for Draper. Draper is one of the largest VC firms in the world and they have like global, they have all these like satellite funds where there's like, so he worked for Draper Triangle, which is kind of this regional Midwestern focus. And so they both had a lot of experience separately and they've known each other for a long time. And they have these very balanced because Madeline is a like process, process, process person. And that's what you really, really need to be an investor. It's interesting that And even like, you know, Benjamin Graham, one of the most lauded thought leaders in investing. So Warren Buffett, you know, quotes him all the time. Like Warren Buffett is a Benjamin Graham guy. Benjamin Graham talks about like the worst enemy of an investor is themselves. You've got to have a process because if you go with your gut, a lot of times your gut's wrong. A lot of times your, your emotion is is the thing that is going to trip you up where you decide to invest in something that is a terrible idea or think, you know, whatever. So, so, and she's got that. She's just sort of like calm, you know, cold, you know, stone cold kind of thinker. And, and Mark, you know, definitely needed that. And so did I. Anyway, so I was the principal there. I had just written a book on entrepreneurship, which is around here somewhere called Startup. So like, what did I do? What did I do with my time when the great financial crisis hit? And, you know, think back to like, this is Obama getting elected, all that. 
I was like, you know what people need right now is, is I'm a VC. What did I just learn? Oh, cash is king and people don't have a lot of money. Everyone's losing their job. I'm going to write a book on how you can start a company for like the least amount of money, like just get started. It's 10 years old. The Angel Capital Association like uses it as like a thing. Universities use it. Entrepreneurship programs. It's terribly designed. I designed it myself. Sorry. So like when you look at it, just keep that in mind. Someday we'll actually do something real with it. But anyway, so a good work for Mark and Madeline. I learned, I'll just be honest with you. I stepped it up. I just learned a bunch of lessons from straight up failing. And then I learned from people that actually knew what the heck they were doing because they had been VCs for a long time. Then we kind of, you know, hit a, a bit of a bump. And, and basically the bump was Fifth Third was getting more strategic about investing, which slows things down, which is the deal killer of all deal killers is time. Time kills all deals. It doesn't matter how much people like you. So like Mark would like invest all of this great like relationship and then things wouldn't happen. So went to go work for a consumer focused fund. And even though I was like, I love the culture of West Capital. I loved Madeline. Madeline married my husband and I, that's how much I loved Madeline. And I know she loves me because she sticks with me, even though I'm straight up crazy sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, so I loved the, the culture there, but I loved the strategy of Maywick. Maywick, Chadwick, and Fred Mayerson decided to start a fund. They raised, you know, 10 million bucks from their friends and they just wanted to invest in cool brands. You know, we always used to joke, it's teddy bears and crackers, like stuff that other VCs are just not interested in. And that's that their strategy. That was our strategy. And so Peloton was the first deal we did. Not a bad first deal. I'm like, there's something to this consumer thing. We should, we should find more brands like that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we had, you know, I, I had network from, from West Capital and, and from the Nair Holdings days, you know, working with Finless, but nothing like, you know, focusing your efforts. Focus is the key to success. Startups, cash is king. You can't ride two horses with one ass. Do one thing, do that well, and just keep doing it. And so, with the focus that we had at, at Maywick, we were really able to build an incredible network. So anyway, fast forward, the last deal that I really, I love this company, right? And so Daily Harvest, I was like eating this, like it was my job because I was breastfeeding. And I basically like, each venture partners exist because of Daily Harvest. I love Peloton. I love Freshly. I love Roots and I love all these companies in the Maywick portfolio. They're awesome. Soma, I still look like, I use all of our products. Basically our products are products that I like and use. And I think that any Midwestern mom with 150,000 household income would love. And we live in the number one consumer test market in the country, which is Cincinnati, Ohio. You've got a restaurant concept, try it out here first. You'll see if it really flies or if it's a regional thing, which is what restaurants do, you know, like the gardens in the world or whatever. So the cool thing, it's usually like Cincinnati or Columbus, which is two hours away. So I just got, I, I was so inspired by Rachel Drury at, at Daily Harvest. I'm like, there are just so many, there are so many Rachel Drury's and that's where I'm going to focus. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to focus on the Rachel Drury's of the world. And I'm going to go hardcore on the thing that I uniquely bring, which is I'm a woman. And there are a lot of women out there. In fact, we're 51% of the population. We're 85% of consumer purchasing. I'm going to elevate this message, which is I love investing in women, <laughs> you know, and just see what happens. But the second thing that I'm going to do is I'm also in the consumer capital of the world. The world's largest consumer products company is here, Procter & Gamble, headquartered here. The world's, the, the largest grocer in North America, Kroger, headquartered here, Macy's, Headquartered here until recently, they were like, we should try New York, but whatever, all the people are here. So like we have, oh, and then all of the data firms, 8451, which used to be done, like Nielsen, there are crazy consumer people. I'll just tell you my next door neighbor, my next door neighbor, one side works for Hershey and sells into Kroger. My other next door neighbor is the head of finance for P&G oral care globally. Like that's where I live. 
Yeah. I'm like, you know what? We should just get like all these experts to help our brands because I've kept seeing at Maywood something that was happening, which was tech VCs trying to tell consumer companies a playbook that like, is bananas, right? They're like, Hey, how about this? Like screw selling mattresses at a mattress store. Let's buy Instagram ads and sell them direct and put them on people's doorsteps. And like, I mean, you could afford to pay like a bajillion dollars to Instagram because you're selling a thousand dollar mattress. So let, let's do that all day long. Well, and then everyone did that. And unfortunately, the cost of Facebook and Google ads has gone up 3x per year for the past 10 years, 3x a year. You better be getting freaking good. It literally, your runtime gets three times better. I would be freaking Roger Bannister right now if that was the case. I would be running a four-minute mile, but that's just one year. So that doesn't make sense. 50% of all venture capital dollars go to Facebook and Google for ads. Oops, that's not a winning business model. Like, so I was like, but I mean, like I see like freaking Pantene on billboards. And let me just tell you, like these marketers shred, like they know what's up. They have sick finance people up in there. They know the mass consumer. And so if they're on billboards, if they're on television, if they're sending you samples in the mail, Steve Case, founder of AOL, got to start sending Pantene samples. Then he's like, we should do this with the internet. Send everybody a CD-ROM. I was going to say the CDs. I still remember those. I love that guy. Coming up. You'll hear Elizabeth tell us about some exciting brands she is currently investing in, like Kinship and Cerebelli. Hi, entrepreneurs! You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. I want to hear more about the brands you've invested in since you've been running H Ventures. Oh my gosh. I love our brands. If you go to our website, you can see all of them. H.Ventures. There's no .com because who needs it? Uh, although I can never register for a conference. It's so annoying. So just backed, I'll kind of go in like reverse order. Although, oh God, I wish I had a Prima right now. So this wine is amazing. It's Cameron Diaz's clean, organic, transparent wine brand. And it's legit. So good. $19.99 price point. So we must be like thinking the same thoughts because we typically invest in things that are science-backed, brands that are better for human health, better for the environment. Not necessarily luxury because there are plenty of VCs that unfortunately do that not good, very small market, but we invest in mass brands, so brands that anyone could buy. And obviously, like not everyone can afford a 1999 book. But she quit acting. You may remember this. She quit acting, you know, two years ago. She's written two books, and these are her books on how the human body works and how to live forever. This is about cellular aging. So one of the things that she and her co-founder, Catherine Power, who is a powerhouse, straight up, who, what, where, burst. She just launched a clean makeup brand, but there's sort of versus clean skincare brand. You can find it at Target. So Catherine's been launching these clean brands and Catherine and Cameron are best friends. And so they're drinking wine together. They're eating organic food. They're using clean beauty products, clean haircut at home. But did you know 90% of the grapes grown in the U.S. are grown with Roundup? and they don't wash the grapes before they crush them. Your wine has Roundup in it. That's why your hangover is so bad. It also has added sulfites. Sulfites- I don't even know what that is. What is Roundup? Roundup is glucosophate. It's a carcinogen. It kills weeds. It's a weed killer. That's terrible. The weed killer Weed killer is in your wine and probably is in most, unless it's, it says organic wine, you want to be really careful. So sulfites, typically here in the U.S., I'm going to say typically because there are 
many, many amazing organic and biodynamic growers here in the U.S. And like, let's not get down on ourselves, like better life through chemistry. But then sometimes we make some mistakes and turns out Roundup causes cancer, bad, the bad kind. But eat your broccoli sprouts because you can kill cancer cells with broccoli sprouts to follow Doug Evans on Instagram. But anyway, the interesting thing about wine, it's kind of the final frontier of clean living. And this is really the theme of everything that I invest in. Here's the baby food that I feed my girls. Yes. And my daughter is obsessed with this belly bars. It is. Oh, I love that. So my daughter walks into my office because guess who sometimes empties the, uh, the baskets around here on the weekends and straightens things up. And it's Evelyn and I, she's five. And she walked in this past weekend. She goes, oh, those are the pouches I like. I go, mommy owns a part of that company. Her face is like, I suddenly went from like, okay, to awesome. Coolest mom I, ever. I'm her hero now. I love it. But this is a patented line of baby food out of Stanford that this is one of my first deals. And this, and I'll share. So first deal, I'm, I'm walking into Stanford demo day with my, with my friend, Steve Board, who's an actual Stanford grad. I just, you know, I'm a party crasher of all parties. I got invited to join a bachelorette party in Nashville a couple weeks ago. I accepted, but <laughs> I did not know these girls. They rock. We've uh, got to get you out of this Zoom box. I know, I know. I need to, I need to be in like I, IRL. Okay. What's interesting is that as your brain develops, 90% of your brain develops before age three. And critical brain structures like your hippocampus, your amygdala, your insula, which I'll talk about in a second, they develop when you're a baby. And so you need good breast milk or, or really good formula or, you know, and then baby food, you need really high quality baby food. You also want to make sure that it doesn't have toxic heavy metals. Google the recent congressional report where Congress wants the FDA to regulate baby food because most brands on the market have toxic levels of lead, arsenic, and other heavy metals. They know it. They're still selling it. But this one does not. You're going to have, because it's earth, okay, you're going to have trace amounts of literally every element, you know, that we're, that we're talking about here. But there are different levels that are safe. And so this is third-party tested, clean label, purity certified. So an independent lab. And so Teresa Persner, I met her. She's a neurosurgeon. She was the only non-like MBA. It's the MBA demo day at Stanford, by the way, okay? So who else is crashing? A neurosurgeon who developed a cure for pediatric brain cancer. And also, as a side gig, is a mom of three. And well, not at that time, but, you know, she had one and invents this baby food. And so I love things like this where eventually they'll, they'll do all the clinical testing and they'll be able to make a claim, you know, like, hey, if your kid eats this food because it has the right vitamins and minerals for brain development and it's staged. So at age six months, a different structure is developing than at age nine months or 11 months because they're doing different things, babbling, crawling, walking, you know, so incredible, incredible. And then really quickly, kinship. These women are in the Bay Area. By the way, they're crushing it. I should have shown you some. Oh, here, I'll show you. This one's easier. This is a sample. This is their, their best. The self-reflect. This is a sunscreen that is actual zinc sunscreen, but doesn't leave you like white streaky. I have no idea how they do it. But it's, they have a proprietary microbiome that gets rid of acne in two weeks. So it, I use it. It keeps your skin clear, but it doesn't use benzoyl peroxide, which is bleach. It's a carcinogen. It's an endocrine disruptor. You should not be putting benzoyl peroxide on your kid's face. And so things like that, these women, co-founder of Juice Beauty, love that brand. So does Gwyneth Paltrow. It powers the goop line. They had a hard time raising venture capital. It's, I'm, it's really John Foley. When Peloton was having a hard time raising venture capital, I'm like, what is wrong with the world that like Peloton is having a tough time raising venture capital? Dollars? Why do you think that was the case? It's because people are so far ahead and that when they go to raise, the VCs can't see the future like these founders can? No, they're not experiencing the present. Peloton isn't a future company. It's a present company. It's a company that first-time new moms need, at least first-time new moms that have a household income of over $100,000. But now you can finance it, and it's cheaper than a gym, and everyone can have one. Klarna, right? 
yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, it's like Klarna, Afterpay, I can never remember. And anyway, once they started financing, that really unlocked a lot of growth, obviously, because that is a hard swipe on your credit card. It's a big bill to pay, but it's cheaper than a gym. And it's an amazing experience. I mean, they're instructors. People think that Peloton is a hardware, you know, a hardware, you know, software as a service company. It's, you know, hardware plus subscription. That, that That's the magic of Peloton. No, that is a financial model. The magic of Peloton is human connection. I want to go to the gym, but I can't go to the gym because I have an infant at home. This is, listen to John fully talk about why he and Jill's wife thought of the idea for Peloton because they had little kids and they couldn't get to the gym. I was family planning at the time. And I'm thinking like, how did people get to the gym? Like I go to like a hot yoga class and then I have another hour on the elliptical. Like, when am I going to do that with an infant? Where could I, could I, like, I never see bouncy seats and you're like, where do people put kids? So I'm just like asking my friends who already have kids. They're like, yeah, Hey, we don't go to the gym anymore. Why do you think I've gained like 20 pounds? And of course you would never say like, Oh, I noticed that. No. So the reason why you don't see companies like this get funded, two reasons. One, so 75% of the world's venture capital is in Silicon Valley. 75% of the world's venture capital. That capital, 93% of it is managed by white guys. 40% of those went to either Stanford or Harvard. It is the most insulated, out of touch, freaking you live in the, one of the most expensive markets in the world. You're investing in $600 cupcake businesses, like so out of touch and not in touch with 70% of the population, which is female and non-white. And so who's looking out for the freaking moms is what I want to know, right? Of course, beauty brands aren't getting funded. But guess what? Do you know who the, the youngest, fastest self-made billionaire was? Oh. Kylie Jenner with a beauty brand. I have someone to connect you with. We just did a clubhouse today and this woman came on and asked a question. We had Alexandra Wilkes Wilson on as the guest. Yeah, I love her. She's awesome. But she was answering questions, but one of the questions that came on at the end was exactly about this because she's trying to find investors right now for her beauty business and all of the VCs that she's talking to do not understand her business. I'll have to connect you. Hey, if, if you've got a, a brand that is food, beverage, apparel, personal care, beauty, femme care, baby care, fabric care, home care, all the cares. If you have something that is in a category that you find at Target, even if you're going to sell it at Nordstrom or Sephora or Ulta or in your own store or whatever, just D to C on Amazon, I don't care. I'm an omni-channel person. But if you have physical brand that's going to change people's lives, Call it, like go to our website. People think that you need to like do like a LinkedIn stocking or uh, try and figure out our emails or something. The fastest way to get on the, the calendar for the investment team is to fill out the form on our website because it goes to everybody. Everybody on the team gets, gets those emails. If you email me, I have 112,000 unread emails. I will not see your email. And it's just like, there's nothing I can do about it either. I could change it. Anyway, and then what is the criteria, the type of company that you would invest in? Do they have to have a certain amount of revenue, be in business for a certain amount of years? It's pretty, you know, it's pretty simple. It's just got to be a consumer. You can be any kind of founder. I love investing in underrepresented founders because they've been ignored. And so like super high quality people that are like, oh my God, I'm on my like 50th pitch and you are the first woman that I've talked to and I've got a femcare brand or no joke. I had, I had a, a Viber company that I love this founder and I was talking to fellow VC. I was like, I think you should, guys should really take a closer look at that. It's like just outside of our, you know, our sweet spot, but I think she's going to do amazing things. And I think you'll make a lot of money with it. And he goes, yeah, but like how many vibrators do women, like how many women even own a vibrator? <laughs> like, like all women including your wife. And she's got like five of them. So, (laughs) but this is the kind of like, if you've had a tampon company, what's he going to do? Try it. You know, there's no way to diligence that you have to try the products, hair care products. I love trying hair, hair, you know, beauty products, by the way, I've been a woman now for 39 years. I can't catch you up on 39 years of consumer insight. Like I've worn pantyhose. We broke up in the 90s you know like there are things that we all experience as women that are just fundamentally different 
And so those are the things, those consumer insights. And by the way, I don't speak Spanish, but I am like the biggest proponent. We need to get more money in the Hispanic community like yesterday. And the reason is it's the fastest growing demographic in North America. It is the demographic of South America. So hello, why wouldn't you have, do you know how many like Latina investors there are? I could like seriously count them on one hand. So that's a problem. That's 30% of the population, 30%. You know, any, any investors listening, by the way, like go find some Latinas to invest, give them, give them all your money. I mean, that's where, that's where growth and, and you're, you're, you're in Miami. That's where growth is happening. Look at what's happening in Miami right now. So there's, there's a big disconnect, which is the present day. And, and it's, it's partially driven by that demographic disconnect, but it's also driven by there is a sector disconnect, which is Silicon Valley only knows really how to do two things, tech and biotech. Those are the dominant industries of Silicon Valley. Consumer is pretty darn big, but, but all of the major consumer companies are actually situated along the major rivers. And so are the retailers. And that's because back in the 1800s, when we, the industrial revolution really took off, the factories were built on the river systems and then rail came along and then we learned how to fly an airplane, right? But this is where they live. They live in the middle. That's where all the professional talent is. So the, the people that I invest in are typically folks that have a lot of domain expertise. So it's like the woman who worked for Estee Lauder and then is like, there's a huge like unmet need over here and no one's really, actually, I'll give you a Miami example. I love this woman, Sansoles Gonzalez. She was at P&G and then at L'Oreal. She ran Pantene, then, you know, a bunch of hair care brands for L'Oreal. She's, Sansoles is down there in Miami. She's 50 preneur. Go 50 preneurs. Actually, the, the age group that has the best wins, 40 to 50 year olds, that's John Foley. That's Renee LeCart. Like people that are really experienced in what they're doing and have years of experience. They've managed P&Ls. They've managed people, maybe for other companies, but now they're going to become entrepreneurs. And so there's a Harvard Business School case study about this business review. So Sensolis is like, you know what? All these hair brands are for like women 18 to 40. Like what happens after you're 40, 45? Like, do you fall off a cliff? And by the way, your hair changes, your hair changes postpartum, your hair changes as you age. And so she created a hair care brand called Better Not Younger. If you are 40 plus, go buy this brand, no joke. And I use it. I love it because it's really about scalp care and making sure that like, look, we do a lot of damage to our hair. I color my hair, you know, we do a lot of damage. And so it helps with minimizing the damage, but also making sure that you're scalp, which is what your hair grows out of, is super healthy so that your hair can continue to be thick and healthy and shiny and all of that. So great example. We're not invested in that brand, but I'll tell you straight up, like I would, I literally, I tried to get around together on this one and I couldn't get other VCs. And by the way, FYI guys, thanks a lot. They're crushing it now. Like, all right. So we have to change this. This is our, our focus to get more women VCs, more women with power to invest in these women so we can change this. Exactly. Well, I'll give you one statistic. Of the $70 trillion invested capital, women and people of color, 70% of the population get to manage 1% of it. The other 99%. So now I'm, now I'm looping in. I told you before it was 93. That's just venture capital, private equity, real estate, hedge funds, all of it. Yeah. Not good. Amazing what you've been able to accomplish. And you're definitely leading the charge as one of the world's only female founded and owned and controlled venture funds to raise over $10 million, correct? Now we're 15. 15, amazing. (laughs) Elizabeth, I would love to hear a little bit more about how our entrepreneurs can really leverage their networks to get new opportunities. and, And how do you focus on building your network? Well, I don't know that I focus on building my network such that I find joy in meeting new people and building holistic relationships with the people that I meet. 
So great example of this. I'm one of those people that has never met a stranger, whether it is my Uber driver and I just want to hear their life story and what they think about the world and, and what brings them joy and where they find challenges or, you know, a bartender or a random person in an elevator. And it happens to me all the time. I basically assume that every single person that I meet from the hotel porter to, you know, the guy dressed up or gal dressed up to the nines on the red carpet is going to be my next new best friend and teach me something. And I think that approach has really served me well because I've met some amazing people and some really unexpected places and, and contexts. And, and it's led to amazing business. I'll give you an example. My husband and I were at the Homestead Family Resort in Hot Springs, Virginia. And my daughter was playing with a little girl that is about her same age. And she really wanted to say goodbye because it was very apparent that this family was like going to have breakfast and pack up and go. And she just wanted to say goodbye. So I walk her over to the table and there we get to chatting and mom and dad are sitting there. And it turns out dad, you know, is basically with the department of Com commerce and works with globally, you know, all these ministers of commerce wow. and specifically focuses on venture capital. I'm like, what are the chances? <laughs> of course we were meant to meet each other and like learn these things. Um, but we weren't talking about business. We were talking about our kids and like what brought us there. And, you know, it's just that sort of natural curiosity about like, you know, what's good. What, what's new with you? New person I just met. So I think that always being open to those new connections and, and having a, a genuine curiosity about people only leads to good things. Absolutely. You never know where you're going to meet someone and being open to having conversations and, and talking and sharing about your, your life, your personal life and business can always lead to meaningful, meaningful business connections down the line for sure. So something that I know many people struggle with is standing up and asking for, for what we want. And just knowing you, Elizabeth and myself as well, like, I know we're not the type of people that, that necessarily struggle with this, but sometimes even like, if you don't feel confident in something, it's still not easy to ask. What are some things that you have been able to do over the years to really get comfortable, always being able to ask for what you want? I think a good place to start, if you're having trouble asking for something that you want, maybe start with saying no to things that you don't want because you're in the driver's seat then. And, and even that is hard. I've noticed that yeah, I'm reading this great book right now by my friend and one of my mentors, Peg Wyant, who was the first female brand manager at Procter & Gamble. So before that, women were only secretaries and support staff and they didn't have that leadership position. And I see a lot of parallel, oh God, read the book. It's like, oh my God, things have changed, but not that much. Um, and, so, and I think motherhood, I have two little girls, five and two. Motherhood really forced uh, in me an ability to say, no, I'm not doing that. I can't. If I do that, it would be way too much. And in fact, I'm going to start like giving things up that I think other people can do outsource every single thing that you can and focus on only the things that only you, you know, really can do. And then, you know, the rest kind of takes care of itself. So I don't do laundry. I don't do dishes. I don't clean. I don't cook. I don't, I don't do any, any of that stuff. Um, I gave up grocery shopping. I very recently gave up like the childcare schedule. I just don't want to do that stuff. And I don't need to because other people are very qualified to do those things. And so instead, I want to focus on hugging my children, taking them you know, to amazing experiences, having quality time with them. This morning, we went out to breakfast and it was a twofer. Then I was like, you know what? I've got lunch. I'm going to take them out to lunch too. And so those are things that I, I can uniquely do, but I don't need to be arranging every other damn thing. So, so that's a good place to start is saying no, getting comfortable asking for what you want. You deserve it. You deserve it. That's it. That is such great advice, Elizabeth. What is your leadership style, especially with your team? And any tips you can share now that so many are, are working remotely for managing a team with your specific leadership style remotely? 
I have a book. I'm going to hold it up so that you can see. Hold it up. Let me see. <laughs> this is called The Millenniagram. I got into the Enneagram eight years ago. My husband and I were not married yet. We're about to celebrate our seventh wedding year anniversary. And we did premarital therapy. And we have an amazing, he's one of the best therapists in the city. And so for six months, we went to therapy before we got married. I wanted to make sure it sticks. So, and it has (laughs) so far, so good. It worked. (laughs) But we we use the millenniagram uh, or the Enneagram specifically to understand the nine different styles of relating to people. And it's something that's really broadly applicable. So you can use it with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse, with your friends, with your business relationships, all of them. And, um, and you see it used in the corporate world a lot today. Um, and so there are a lot of corporate Enneagram consultants, team builders, um, people that are trying to help people manage better and, and manage themselves better. And so uh, we use that right off the bat in the interview process to understand what is the style of this potential team member? And then we keep using it my management style tends to be hire the absolute best, 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 best of the best people that, you know, when I was 25, I I certainly wasn't, you know, doing that kind of stuff, like good for them. Um, You know, people generally, you know, if I'm hiring somebody for marketing, I want to hire a better marketer than I am a marketer. If I'm hiring someone for quantitative stuff, I want them to know things that I've never dreamed of. And so then I, I'm generally just filling in blanks. I want to put some context around venture capital or some context around consumer venture capital. Some typically more of look to inspire, show, you know, show what the pathway could be, educate, 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 promote self-confidence through like give them the task, get out of the way, but you know, I've been told my standard is like second only maybe to Steve Jobs and that I am a ridiculous per- perfectionist and it's really hard to work with me. But all that being said, we focus on the whole person and like, you know, understanding our, our strengths and, and what we bring to the table and just, you know, trying to make sure that we understand each other so that we work well together because we're all different. I have to, I think I took the Enneagram test years ago. Is that the one where it's like numbers one through seven or eight? One, one through nine. One through nine. Oh, there. Now you're holding mm-hmm. it up. Yes. I have to go, I have to go back and see which one I was. I can't remember now. Someone gave it to us one time. We actually, we use at Social Fly, we use a tool called the Predictive Index. Have you heard of that? Yes, I took it. Have you done it's it? Very similar. Yes. yes. It's like, love it. So accurate. It's yeah. unbelievable. Oh Yeah. When a founder is pitching you for investment, how can they really stand out and what do you look for? So I look for first and foremost in founders, relevant experience. So if you're launching a beauty brand, much better if you've spent 10 years in beauty than if you're a tech person going, I love beauty products. I think I could do this. So I look for that relevant experience, which is basically domain expertise, channel expertise, previous exits worked together before, P&L responsibility. Have you run a business? If you're a CEO, I see a lot of folks that are like product people that may have not yet run a business. And so I think, you know, those things are really important. Having the holistic skill set of, you know, how to market, you know, how to keep control of your cash, um, you know, hire people, manage people, all those things. But what we look for in businesses, obviously we're a consumer investor, so you got to be a consumer company, but we're looking for really large markets that are really large pain points. And so I'm looking for someone who spent a long time in consumer insight, understanding a problem and understanding the people that have that problem and that it's big and it's solvable and it's solvable in some unique way that they're able to deliver because they have experience in that field. So those are the things that just get me really excited. So we invest in science-based consumer brands. A lot of times we're leveraging the the know-how of mother nature. It's just products that are better for human health, better for the environment, solving real problems. And look, 
I am a millennial mom. I'm a Midwestern millennial mom who lives in a $250,000 house. I know what some of the problems are. <laughs> so I'm generally, generally looking for, you know, things that the average person says, yep, that is correct. That is a real pain point. I have trouble getting my kids to go to bed. You know, I have trouble making sure that my kids are eating enough fiber, protein, vitamins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I see those things that every person can relate to and are solvable through science, then, you know, those are the brands that we want to back. Coming up, Elizabeth's favorite tech products and why the best investment you can make is in yourself. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with Armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. All right, Elizabeth, we love to do some fun rapid fire questions. So we're going to ask you a few questions. And the first thing that comes to your mind, like one word answer. Is you ready? Oh, God. I love it. All right, go. <laughs> All right. Describe yourself in three words. Authentic unpredictable, fun. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Ooh, one new skill. All right. So there are three skills that I start. Well, now I'm going to do four, four skills that I started, but I tend to like not work on them very much. Flying an airplane, which I, I soloed, but I want to keep going. Jiu-jitsu, which I straight up love. Brazilian dance fighting, amazing workout. And I just feel so like powerful after doing it. And then playing the guitar. My husband is an amazing closet rock star. So he plays and I would love to be like able to play with him. And then also, well, and, and sing. I'm, I'm told that I'm actually not a very good singer, but I do it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> ooh, ooh, oh, but dancing. I used to dance a ballet, but I really want to get good at like, you know, kind of like, I would love to be a backup dancer for JLo. That would be a thing. And then weird. Okay. I'm going to be really polarizing and just be straight up. My life was threatened. And so I, I learned how to shoot a pistol. I know how to shoot a rifle. And so gun safety now to me is like really, really top of mind and especially everything that's going on with the world. What is your most used emoji when you send a text message? The dancing woman. What app on your phone can you not live without? Ooh, I mean, besides email, Sonos, actually. I freaking love those guys. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tech product or business solution that's helped you grow your business? Bill Doc. <laughs> yes. That's fail. Do you have a hidden talent? I can usually talk someone into just about anything. Elizabeth, we could sit and chat with you for all day, really. And there's so much more to talk about. And we will definitely do a follow-up Clubhouse and LinkedIn Live when this episode is released. But I have one final question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, what does it mean to me? Take the risk. Go for it. Nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. The best investment you can make is in yourself. That is so true. We cannot agree more. And thank you so, so much for joining us and sharing your incredible story and journey. We can't wait to follow you and all of the brands that you're investing in right now. We will be sure to tag them and share all of them on social because we love sharing female-funded brands, as you know. Where can everyone find you and follow you and reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at E Edwards on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Ann Edwards. You can go to our website and you'll find all of our social links, h.ventures. I'm on Instagram, our company's on Instagram. We're always posting like world positive things for entrepreneurs. So if you need like a little pick me up, 
follow our H Venture partners on Instagram because we're here for you. Entrepreneurship is hard, but it's worth it. It definitely is. Thank you again. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, Entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entreprenista.com forward slash experience week. That's entreprenista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.